Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. Glad you could join us. Um, if you were with us uh, last week, we definitely talked some more parables. Um, I know that was a really great episode. Uh, I learned a lot. Talked about some revelation, a little <laughs> bit of end times. Um, We're but... just all over the place. <laughs> <Wah-ha>. <laughs> <You can't help. laughs> but yeah, Bless uh, our hearts. <laughs> but this week uh, we do, of course, as always, we have Robert and Zach and they are bringing us some kind of campfire Bible stories Wah-hoo. and um, some of the more lesser known. Uh, I think it's going to be a really fantastic episode. So welcome, Zach and Robert, and I'll let you take it away. Well, thank you, sir. All right. So uh, last week during the little preview, I called this act podcast around the campfire, and I'm keeping it. Uh, it's, it's story <laughs> <With> time. S'mores. <laughs> s'mores. It's story time. Now, we've had several episodes now where our story time is focused around the parables of Christ. Uh, even last week, uh, literally just last week, we did the parables of Jesus. Now, this week, we're going to change it up a little bit. Um, we are going to share one story each. Um, I'm going first since I'm currently rattling my lips, and then Zach will go. And what hopefully. we're hopefully what we're doing is we're sharing one story that is much less known than the others. And we were talking last week at, towards the end uh, when we were giving a preview of tonight's episode that uh, you know almost everybody, if you've ever even touched a Bible, you probably know uh, Daniel and the Lion's Den. You know about Jonah. And the whale, you know about Noah's Ark, and yet there are so many stories out in there that are off the wall, zany, insane, and honestly, we could do, you know, more episodes like this in the future down the road, but uh, (laughs) there are so many out there that are very, very less known, and so that is one fun thing is sharing some of the odder parts of the Bible, some of the more obscure parts of the Bible. Your Sunday school teacher didn't want to teach these for a reason, and... Tales from the crypt, but uh, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> but uh, we're gonna get to share a couple of those stories on this episode. So to start mine off, um, for those who may not be very familiar with the Bible, please just know that uh, the Old Testament can be your playground if you're looking for odd, off the wall <laughs> stories. And the point, and one thing to address before we even get started is. We, we have this cultural view, uh, among believers at least, in, in the Bible Belt and beyond that. We have this belief that, you know, since this is God's Word, it's upright, it's moral, it teaches us what to do. Therefore, when we come across these kind of blush-worthy stories or eyebrow-raising stories, we get, I, I'm, a pa- I'm a church pastor, and I've heard people in the church ask, you know, why is that doing in God's Word? And they think, oh, this is, in their mind, I'm, I'm just going to read their minds a little bit. They think, oh, this stuff is slightly inappropriate or mm-hmm. slightly shocking. 
this is supposed to be spiritual Walt Disney. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, they, they, get their, they get their ideas. Exactly, uh, uh, spiritual Disney. It's like, I mean, if and and that's one of the things, especially with the the more the well known um, verses and things of that nature. It's like you don't realize how like the story of David and Goliath, how insanely violent that is. I mean, we have it in kids' books, and it doesn't go over half the details. And there's a reason why they don't go over half the details, because it is insanely violent. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's ridiculous. And uh, I had a pastor friend just this morning. Um, I work a day job, and we I just happened to work with another pastor. He said his little girl had this really violent nightmare of something happening to him, and he said he was shocked. He said, what has that little girl been watching to get this in her head? And I just said, oh, that pre- preacher's kid's been reading her Old Testament. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so just the, I, just the stuff that is in there, and to address that for just a second, why would that stuff be in God's Word? Well, obviously, first, we believe that the events reported, unless they're in a certain context where they're meant to be fiction. Uh, the parables of Jesus, we've already talked about it. Those are meant to be fiction, but Jesus told those stories to tell a real point. Now, in the Old Testament, most of these events are genuine historical accounts. And if you've turned on the news for more than two minutes, not on a commercial break, you already know that this world we live in, real historical events are very rarely pretty or completely pretty in any sense of the word. We live in a fallen world. A lot of horrible things happen. You do not need to know. Uh, you do not need to be told. You already know this intrinsically. So, if Scripture is going to report history well, if it's going to really tell you exactly what these people were like, exactly what these people faced, exactly what the civilization did, um, exactly what it was like in those days, you're not going to come across a whole bunch of ponies and unicorns. You are going to come across some dark patches, some scary hallways. And so, um, and factor in the the element of uh, spiritual warfare and things of that nature that we get glimpses of as well. Oh, absolutely! I mean, <laughs> glimpses of the demonic uh, tragedy touching people's lives, and um, w- you, you know these little Alice in Wonderland moments. Um, that 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 old uh, adage that f- uh, fact is stranger than fiction. <laughs> it can be absolutely true. There've been some things that have occurred in the real world and real history to real people that you just couldn't make up. And so that's one of my stories tonight. Uh, that's where I'm going is one of the eyebrow-raising stories of Scripture. Um, I actually uh, preached this story to a group of college students one time, and they were just shook the whole time. Now, I did have a real message. I didn't just share it to be sharing it, but it was fun as crap. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I'm talking about to keep you on the edge of your seat is uh, the story from <laughs> Bum Bum Bum. Uh, if you want weird, look no further than the judges. Now, this occurs in a time in Israel's history. They're established, there's a nation. They've gone out of Egypt. Moses has given them, well, God has given them the law through Moses. And so they're now established as a nation, but they have no king. And that's where Judges is headed. Uh, the readers of Judges knew that a king was coming later in history. But during the days of the actual events of Judges, the people living in the days that Judges talks about, these are times that are actually quite chaotic. The, this is basically the Jewish Wild West. 
uh, the law is there, but it's very seldom upheld. It's rather chaotic. And what it, what happens is, uh, to zoom out and give you the big picture, Israel goes through kind of a toilet flush or a hamster wheel. And so it's just around and around and around we go. Where we stops, we'll, we'll just run out of words, and then we'll stop. But uh, what happened in the, is, the, the that history of uh, Israel in that section it, they were kind of in this uh, limbo, this twilight zone, in between their founding and the rise of the first king. And, of course, the rest of Israel's history focuses on the kingdom. But before the king rises, you've just got this toilet flush where other nations surrounding them are always rising up against them, always oppressing them, always crushing them under their feet for a long time. And then God raises up someone who's kind of like a, let's think about a a substitute king. If you went to school and your teacher wasn't there, you'd have a substitute teacher. They were basically substitute kings that God would temporarily rise up, and they were just called judges. They did not, by any stretch of the word, have the power of a king, obviously, but they could be judged in the sense that they were there to uh, help regain the peace, help reestablish Israel as its own independent nation. And this happened constantly. And uh, some very famous names come from this. A woman named Deborah, a strong man named Samson. These are all judges in this pattern. And so the people would repent underneath the, the help of a judge. The next generation would fall right back into the sins that the generation before it had fallen into. Um, I mean, human nature can be very, very gross to look at. You think, come on, kid. I mean, look how many times your ancestors fell into this servitude. God has warned you all that if you fall back into, okay, he's doing it. Okay, mm-hmm. Oh, and great, here comes another king to write. Okay, now here we're back under the foot of another oppressor. Here comes another judge. And it's just constantly around and around we go. And so the story that I'm going to tell in Judges 3 is a very oddball story during a time when Israel was under the foot of a nation called Moab. It was one of the many pagan nations that did not get routed out in Canaan. They, uh, Israel occupied a portion of the Canaanite land, but they had many pagan neighbors, and one of them was this small little kingdom of Moab. Now, Moab comes, oppresses Israel, uh, just like I just said, and so people, so there were some people who lived their whole lives just knowing that Israel was subject to Moab. And so God appoints this man named Ehud. Say that five times fast. It's a, lo- it's a lot more vague than David or John. Ehud, Ehud, and so this judge that barely anyone's heard of unless you're a a faithful Bible scholar plunging deep into the book of Judges, this man Ehud is called by God to go take on the king of Moab. Now this uh, this is unique. Now usually a judge is called to raise up an army, and he's called to march against the king, and it's kind of a, a kind of a Lord of the Rings Battle Royale, two armies fighting each other in a big field. You could make a movie off of this. Now, this story you could never make a movie off of. Maybe an episode on Comedy Central, but that's it. It's just so odd and unique. And Ehud was a genuine judge, genuinely appointed by God to genuinely save Israel from Moab. But everything in this story just sounds like a carnival ride that's broken down and bolts are flying everywhere. You've got to get the kids off. And so what Ehud is called to do, he does not raise an army. He just goes straight to the palace. And what's unique is the king who happens to be over Moab. The individual in this story is a king named Eglon. 
and I, I'm, I feel mean for saying it, but I'm just taking words right out of the scripture's writer. Uh, he, he is basically described as kind of the Old Testament job of the hut. He is very <laughs> overweight. Scripture wants you to know that. It doesn't shy from that. And I think that might be one reason there was no warfare. This guy probably could not march and ride in front of an army. Um, I heard stories about uh, former President William Howard Taft, who was very overweight. There's a story of the Secret Service having to yank him out of a bathtub. And, you know, we hear this kind of thing. And, you know, it's very embarrassing for the individual, but it's a reminder that, you know, truth can be stranger than fiction. And so we hear the story of this Eglon who is in the same situation socially among the people of his day. And he's sitting on his throne. And Ehud, the judge, comes to him and he says, I have a message to you from Yahweh, the the God of the, the Hebrews. And so he reaches his hand into his robe and Eglon thinks it's some kind of letter from an emissary or something. So he leans forward to listen to it. And Ehud instead grabs his sword and throws it into the gut of Eglon the king. And it's disgusting, but it's a historical detail. Scripture says in black and white that Eglon was so large that the sword got sucked up into his chubbiness and disappeared. And so this story of Ehud just stabbing Eglon and leaving him to, I mean, he literally just stabbed him and left him. And it says the Eglon's servants, the servants of Moab, waited for their king. And this just adds more embarrassment to the man and his legacy is the the servants thought that Eglon must have, and I mean, I'll say it as well as I can because you never know whose sensibilities you might offend, but I mean, they thought he was using the restroom and they waited and waited. And it says that they waited in the Hebrew. It says they waited for such a long time. They got embarrassed. They were all making eye contact with each other. They think, well, we we know that his trips to the re- to the restroom are creative, and but <laughs> this is taking extra long even for him. Uh, and so, I mean, it, the whole story just shamelessly pours more and more mockery on this king's head. And um, it's got to be remembered: this was a very wicked king who had no regard for the God of Israel or for Israel's wer- welfare. Um, he was the epitome of um, the chubby Caesar that you see sitting around very full of himself, eating grapes, uh, uh, being a womanizer to female servants. And so this guy was the, the, the great picture of, of that kind of very self-centered, egotistical human being. And so Ehud is called to come and uh, get rid of the king in this way. And it's such an oddball situation because he comes. It's very quiet. There's no war. Ehud simply had to be willing to go and do what some would consider the unthinkable. Um, this was a situation where, you know, God using something to have something greater occur. Um, what I mean is, you know, would God condone uh, wep- weapon violence nowadays? I would say no. I believe Ehud had very specific instructions for this very specific time of history to make sure that Israel would be preserved uh, without it, despite how bizarre uh, the situation would be, despite how easy it would have been for people who hated Eglon to make fun of him for his size. This was somebody who was still in control of a very powerful kingdom at the time that could have very easily wiped Israel off the map 
even if not ethnically, he could have wiped them off the map spiritually. He could have gotten rid of Yahweh worship and all the progress that he had made during Moses' and Joshua's lifetimes. And so the real takeaway, well, there could be plenty of takeaways from this, and we could pick apart applications because when I preached this to those college students, I wanted to make sure it wasn't just something to shock them with how bizarre the Bible could be. Um, I wanted to obviously whet their appetite to keep digging for other stories in the scriptures that they may have never heard before. But the reason I came to this also, before I preached it, I wanted to make sure there was genuine application. And what it is, is this idea that, well, for one, I mean, it tells us all that, you know, sometimes God can use us even in the most bizarre, unexpected situations if we're willing to listen. Um, this was someone who um, has, he has perhaps the, well, all the judges are unique, but perhaps the one of the most unique uh, job descriptions of any judge in the book. If you're willing to look at, you know, the pattern set out by the other judges and then you have him standing out and he passes by very quickly. And after he uh, does what he does, he I mean, he he rules Israel for a while and passes the torch on to another judge who liberates the nation from yet another king. But it's such a small mundane story, if you know what I mean. And I said at the beginning that you could not make a movie out of this. I mean, I I would not want to sit there for a three-hour biblical epic to watch somebody walk in and stab a guy in the gut and just walk away. And yet I'd rather watch, you know, something with two armies, a lot of action. And yet God still used him just as well, and his name is still documented as one of the judges. Your life does not have to be an exciting action movie to be used by God. The mundane, the daily life. It's possible God could use you in such a way. Uh, he, I don't think He'll call you to stab a man. Don't 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 believe a word of it. If we are we are after Jesus. There is no reason to preserve any nation for that reason. But uh, but there's always a chance He could call you to do some small mundane thing. Not that, stab somebody. <laughs> not. But Love not stab them. Somebody. Do not stab no. them. That is no, bad. a non-flashy everyday thing <laughs> that could still be talked about by somebody many years down the road if you're willing to do something to change someone's life by not stabbing them. By not stabbing them, but simply be by being used by God in another way that's consistent with Scripture, <laughs> not that Scripture, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, in many ways. Uh, Ehud also gives us a very small glimpse of um, who Jesus was going to be spiritually. Uh, Jesus was going to be someone very common, uh, very someone very unexpected. Nobody looked at, e as far as I can tell, nobody looked at Ehud and thought, ooh, this is our new judge. It was after he had murdered the king that people started to take notice of him. I think if I think if he had had any renown, the king of Moab would not have let him come waltzing right up to his throne room. This was just some guy, some pauper maybe. And yet God spoke to him and said, in this one situation, do something I would not normally command you to do for the sake of something much bigger, which was preserving the Israeli record to bring in the Messiah. And all of all of the, those ethical things are another discussion for another day, and I think we've discussed it in a previous episode too. You know, why would God command certain heinous things for a certain period of time? It was to ha he it was using what was there in this pool of sin and free will to bring about a much greater good that He needed to have done in order for the Messiah to come. 
but uh, he, Ehud is a small vision of who Jesus is. He comes, and you know, at this unexpected time, the world was barely looking for him in a way. Um, they were looking for a Messiah, but their version, their view of Messiah was totally different. And he comes and he saves the world from sin. Ehud came and he saved Israel from Moab in one swift stroke. Uh, Jesus died and in one swift stroke he took out the, the sin that had been separating the whole human race from their maker. And so we have this story that uh, can be very that can be passed over very quickly and yet leaves plenty of things open for discussion. And it's just one of those eyebrow-raising stories that uh, God wasn't just trying to get some kind of laugh or some sideways glance by putting it in there. God was genuinely, at, at first in the moment, he was preserving Israel. And then after that, it was written down so that we would have something to discuss in the life of this very, very vague, unknown judge in this ocean of more famous names. And even if uh, most people don't under, don't know the name of Ehud like they would know the name of Samson, uh, God knew who Ehud was. So Ehud himself does not need to wonder if God is going to recognize him at the final day. And maybe there are some people out there, whether you believe or not, but especially believers, who might feel the same way. You're one face in an ocean of many. Uh, you're just one person in a city. You're one person in a town. Nobody outside of a, a 20, 30, 40, 50 mile radius even knows you exist. And yet, we can all take comfort in knowing that God will not forget a single one of our names and a single one of our stories. And we can take all of these things away from this oddball story of a man who just walked up to a king and just took him out without any effort. And so this story just kind of shines forth from us. If we're willing to get past the oddity to the gems that are hidden there, why would this be written in God's word? It has a lot waiting for us as we point that to Christ. And there were no guards or anything. Like yeah, just, well, if I if I remember the story correctly, like the the king foolishly like kind of like dismissed his guards mm-hmm. so that he could hear what the guy had to say, because it was like one of those things like they had memories, so to speak, of what Yahweh had done as Israel came into the land of Canaan, mm-hmm. and so I would imagine. There, there, even though maybe not necessarily reverence, but maybe like, like a like a tip of the hat to his God, even though he didn't necessarily completely believe in it. So he kind of like lets his guards leave so that he can then, you know, hear the message in private. Because I mean, presumably, I mean, he he wouldn't have anything to fear necessarily, yeah. because he probably saw himself as this great immortal being slash demigod that couldn't be defeated and probably where he gets all the hedonism and all that and uh, ended up being the way he was. But so, yeah, he was overconfident and God showed him his frailty. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because my guess would be his ego may have gotten in the way. was, And that was a detail I probably should have thrown into the story anyway, was he said, I have a message from God. And, uh, the, and as Zach said, the king ordered all these people to leave except him and the prophet. And, you know, it's very possible, uh, very easy to imagine that his ego may have gotten in the way in this moment. He said, oh, okay, the God of the Hebrews has something just for me. Uh, of course, uh, you know, one... He, that's not 
wrong. No, no. One. <laughs> he, had, he, had a, he had a knife Just for me. you there, <laughs> And, I mean, he has probably stroked his ego a lot. Is You know, this deity sees me and wants to speak to me. It's kind of like when two actors meet one another and they kind of have this very over-professional way of approaching one another. and They kind of stroke each other's egos at the same time. He's like, oh, great, this great God is going to speak to me, who is a great God, and maybe we can have a network of gods. And, yep. And so he th- and in the moment he didn't even think, oh, I'm in danger. He just, oh, no, no, no. They, they, they he, the Yahweh's finally recognizing the mighty king of Moab. Not, I'm what not is, true. I'm all there, is. <laughs> there is no other. There is no other, and he found out the hard way. Yep. Nice. He got the point. Ooh. <laughs> uh. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Oh, he got it all right. <laughs> Ooh. And but. the fatness enclosed around it and basically allowed the guy to get off scot free. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, and the so. whole and the whole system collapsed once he was gone too. Yeah. Yeah. So it all hinged on that one guy and so whenever yep. that one guy was taken out. He, I mean, his ego was placed in the fact that he was the the king and the bee's knees, so to speak. And then whenever he got taken out, well, everything just kind of fell apart. Yeah. Uh, he probably thought, you know, I don't need anybody else. I don't need to worry about a successor. Maybe he did think he was going to live forever. Yeah. It got gets to your head so easily. And even that can be a point of application for any one of us is, you know, don't see yourself any mightier than God himself sees you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. Uh, so mine, moving forward a little bit in, in the chronology of time. Uh, so there's the time of Judges that happened, and which is what Robert was talking about. And then fast forward a couple of generations, and Israel gets tired of uh, the Judges. He get, They get tired of the corruption because you have... Eli, and then you also have a guy named Samuel that comes along, and those are and Samuel is considered the last judge, um, slash prophet of uh, of God before the coming of a king, um, and so Samuel kind of like um, basically the people are like we want a king, we want a king, and God's like I'm your king, and then the people of Israel are like no, we want a real king. This will go good. We want to be like all the other nations that have kings. We want to have a king. And God's like, all right, you want a king? I was going to send my Messiah, but you want a king? All right, fine. You'll have a king. And his name is going to be Saul. And Saul started off really well, um, started doing some things, you know, beating up the Canaanites and, and, and things of that nature. Um, but then... Saul starts taking liberties, uh, basically kind of like in that day and time, you had Samuel, who was kind of like the spiritual representative of God, and then you had um, Saul, who was king, and there were two separate, position, two separate positions, so to speak. And so one day, basically, Samuel was delayed in coming, and so Saul took it upon himself to offer sacrifices. And in reality, he should have waited for God to show up, basically, through Samuel. But instead, he, he did his own thing. And then from there, it just kind of escalated um, to where God raised up another uh, king named David. 
And so then jealousy started to really take root in Saul's heart and really plotted David's destruction, tried to kill him numerous times. Um, several times David had the opportunity to kill him, but David said, nope, he's a, he's a man that God has appointed. I will not kill him. So basically David showed Saul a lot of grace and mercy um, and, vice, and and vice versa, Saul would try to kill him for it. It's like several times, you know, like especially in like those instances where Saul would go into a cave, David was actually hiding out in the cave, but no one saw it because he was further back inside the cave, and, and so Saul falls asleep, and David has the opportunity to kill him, and even some of his own men say, here's your chance. God has put him in the place. You could literally take him out. And instead, um, David decides to say, no, I'm going to respect the Lord's anointed. I'm going to, you know, not do that. Um, So there was an example of where David was like, okay, I'm not going to do this, even though I have the chance to do it. Um, So moving forward in time a little bit, uh, basically Samuel, who again was kind of like the the old guard, he was like the last judge, kind of like the spiritual advisor, and um, he passes away. And so um, going a little bit further back in the kind of like the, um, the nation of Israel's commands, God told them to not have any sort of witches, not to have any sort of um, uh, pagan priests or whatever. A lot of times nowadays we think of witches, but people who cast magic and things like that. But... And there might have been some element to that, but in reality, it had more to do with the fact of they were actually oracles, people who were trying to make uh, proclamation for false deities and things of that nature. And that's really their main focus, their main objective, was kind of like saying, instead of, thus says the Lord, they would say, thus says... um, the God of the Canaanites or whatever. And so kind of like they were trying to basically portray themselves as, uh, as prophets, so to speak, but false prophets. And so, um, God said, okay, there's not going to be any of those in your area, in your nation. This is my nation. You're to be holy. You're to be separate. Eliminate these people or, and cast them out. And so that was what that the, uh, Israelites have been commanded to do. And Saul and, and you know, uh, Samuel and the previous judges all did those things. They removed the um, witches and, and these false prophets from the area. But then whenever um, Saul kind of realizes, like, he's starting to lose his credibility, um, he sees David as, as a true king and things of that nature, he goes to a witch in Endor, E-N hyphen door, um, not to be confused with anything of the Lord of the Rings or anything like that. But uh, So there was a witch of medium and indoor that he goes to. And basically what happens, in a nutshell, he goes to this medium and he's like, I want you to call up Samuel because Samuel had died previously. Um, and so he was wanting to speak with Samuel because Samuel was, again, God's chosen representative at that time. And so the witch does her thing, and and there's a lot of speculation, there's a lot of debate in this story, but basically God allows 
um, Samuel to be, you know, in contact with Saul. And the witch, basically, or the medium here, flips out, freaks out because she realizes that this guy is King Saul and knows that the king of Israel is not supposed to be conversing with mediums. They're supposed to remove them from the country and kill them. So she's freaked out, one, because it works and actually summons Samuel, two, because the guy across the, the room from her is Saul, the king, who basically was supposed to persecute her. And so it's like a double whammy for her. She freaks out, and then Samuel's like, Saul, this is the ultimate display of how you've done things of your own instead of seeking the Lord's counsel. There's other prophets besides um, Samuel uh, in this day, and but instead of seeking them out, instead of seeking the Lord for yourself, you sought me who is dead. And so basically Samuel's like, tomorrow you're going to be with me. In other words, tomorrow you're going to get killed. And so this story, fast forward the next day, basically um, Saul and his son Jonathan are out fighting the Philistines because, again, kind of like what Robert was saying earlier, um, there's a constant back and forth between the Israelites and the Philistines and the Canaanites and the various other uh, kingdoms that kind of arose from that same people group, um, which was one of the reasons why God said to wipe them out to begin with. But since they disobeyed, they had to deal with the repercussions of their actions. And so Saul is sitting here fighting this army, and basically they get overrun. And before um, before they basically defeat them, he falls on his own sword. In other words, he commits suicide. He places his sword in such a way that he, when he falls on it, it basically kills him. Um, so he basically commits suicide. Um, but a lot of people are like really surprised that this portion of scripture talks about this this uh, medium because it was something that the the Israelites weren't supposed to participate in. They weren't supposed to seek out anyone who had contact with the dead. Numerous times in scripture it says to not consult those people, and yet Saul disobeying God's command goes to this medium and the medium actually <laughs> it actually works and terrifies her and 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 so you have this instance of scripture of where God allows this to take place and it's like and it raises questions of why God would allow such a thing to happen but at the same time it points to the, uh, Saul's heart that instead of actually seeking the Lord himself instead of actually seeking you know, some other representative. Instead, he actually looks for a dead guy. He actually goes outside of Scripture and talks and tries to find someone that he can talk to the dead to, which is, again, something Scripture was saying to not do. And it was ultimately just another sign that he had um, fallen away from what he should have been doing, what he could have been doing, and what he ought to have been doing, and instead did what he ought not do. Good stuff. Good stuff. There's so much going on in that story. Yeah. It's just yeah. human drama left and right. You have a dead man crying out from the grave. You have somebody willing to bend what they claim to be their their moral ethic. You know, Saul was not in any position to go to a medium. He was supposed to, and he knew better, he was mm -hmm. supposed to go straight to God. Mm -hmm. And I think he was hiding from God, to be honest. But uh, Wanted someone to pat him on the back. Mm-hmm. 
because God would have been like, hey, no, you're acting a fool. Yeah. And and David's not going to be king in your place instead of you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> all those smiling faces that are dead. Yeah. <laughs> One thing, and I'm just, um, I'm shooting the breeze about it now, but uh, I wonder, what are your thoughts? What do you think the Witch of, well, it's speculation, but it's right, fun. Right, right, right. Uh, what do you think the Witch of Endor actually expected to happen? I think she just thought she was going to do her natural show, whatever it is that she did, and make a false presentation of some dead something or another. You know, maybe give out a bunch of vague, like kind of like what the mediums of today do. Oh, they yeah. they feed off the information that you give them, and then you start giving them information, and you don't realize you're giving them information, and then they're like they're feeding the information that you've given them to you, and yeah. you think they're legit. And so that's probably what she was thinking was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, instead, there here comes a light, and then there's Samuel. And she's like, holy crap, it actually worked. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I can't help but wonder what Saul thought when that came out of her mouth. She's like, holy goodness, this is going on. He's like, wait, it's what? This has never happened before. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah, it says, I mean, I'm looking at the scripture, not to quote it, but I mean, it says, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So <laughs> right there, she was like freaked out. She cried out in a loud voice. She's like, Samuel, oh my gosh. Wait, you're the king. You're 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 Saul. You're you're the king. You're not supposed to do this. You're Holy. Oracle. You should have known this. <laughs> yeah. You should have known this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. I mean, the, the, the terrifying thought, you know, is the fact that she thought that she, you know, probably just does this for the other uh, Philistines all the time. You know, who knows what her motivations were, but she claimed to be a medium. She claimed to have this special divine power and probably was just a con artist just like everybody else that usually follows along with that. Or there's some sort of demonic activity that she was partaking in. Um, to give her some sort of influence and some sort of uh, false knowledge or whatever, and and then for the the gate so to speak to be open and for uh, Samuel to show up, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I bet you. I mean, I think we uh, we get a glimpse of her sh- surprise, but I don't think that adequately, adequately even describes it. I bet you she was terrified. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, and I wonder if the witch kind of repented after this. Um, I hope to imagine she did. Now she never gets mentioned again, but it's just something I hope. Uh, w- so literally experience the raw power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of, uh, yeah, of, like, of the one true God, Yahweh. He's like, oh, you want to, you want to talk to dead? Oh, you think you go talk? Well, here, let me show you what that looks like. Because <laughs> yeah. you think you do, you don't, but you think you do. But here's what that looks like. <laughs> no one conjures spookies quicker than me. <laughs> You're not going to dabble in this ever again. After. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean straight yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Yeah. yeah, but there, there's, there's your two uh, rare. I don't say they're they're rare because historically, they seem sort of like, wow, that really happened. Is did it did it really happen? And there's any, and I would even say there's probably some 
Christian circles that, you know, like probably frown upon even talking about these things just because it raises more questions than it answers questions. Um, because it's like, wh- why did God allow that to happen? Why? I mean, and it might have been. I mean, we don't have the the reference here. We don't know. But it might have even been for the woman. Maybe she repented and saw the error of her ways. Or then again, maybe she took it and ran with it and became even more. I mean, there was the evidence of um, uh, there. You had Peter, and then you had the magician Simon, who was tried to buy the Holy Spirit off of Peter, and then later on, you know, he ends up starting his own cult, claiming that he was the Messiah. So maybe, maybe this is an example of where she genuinely had an experience of where God intervened. And she took it and ran with it and tried to set up her own religion or who knows whatever. I just leveled yeah. up. I just leveled up. I actually <laughs> legitimately, I legitimately had a seance, like legit. Like here it was. <laughs> I've got more and more thing under my belt. <laughs> I was before just making it up, but now I'm not making it up. Now, seriously, <laughs> this time I didn't make it up. Next time I'll have to make it up because God won't show up. But I, there was that one time. <laughs> <laughs> that one time I exhibited greatness. Eat it, Miss Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, uh, she Miss Cleo. Yeah, I remember that lady right? <laughs> talking about, oh, call me right now. I tell you your future. But yeah, yeah, you don't see enough future to get caught for tax evasion. What? Oh, <laughs> how does that happen? Dang. Just twenty nine ninety nine a minute. <laughs> yes, I'll give you, give you all the insights. But I'm gonna get busted for tax evasion. And I'm not gonna foresee that one coming. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> so, uh, Zach, you want to land the plane with us? Uh, wrap up, dude. The you're such a stories? good plane lander-ish person. I, I non-crasher. <laughs> yeah, non-crasher. <laughs> Guy got stabbed. <laughs> Other girl picks up and finds a dead guy coming into her living room. Okay. Captain Sully. (laughs) (laughs) Take us down. All right. Uh, Thank you all for listening. So you've got two stories that you most likely did not hear before now. This is uh, your crash course in uh, Sunday school outside of Sunday school. But to the wrap these deep Sunday school, put the d- the deep web version of Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that one. That's bad. I just did, and I kind of regret it. <laughs> but uh, to to wrap these things up, we just got canceled. <laughs> yeah, we just got canceled. Oh. Uh, but uh, but to wrap these stories up and kind of put them together so that they make one you know one big tangent picture. <laughs> Both these stories in light of the gospel, they can, they they have so much to say. The the sin of Eglon uh, could still be the sin of this witch. Uh, both two two different people, two different lots in life, two totally different eras of Israeli history. Um, one was Jewish, one was a pagan king from another country completely, and yet both believed that they could get their 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 souls refreshed, their souls given purpose by something else. Eglon wanted to elevate himself. Uh, the witch was chasing after all these other pretty ideas that were floating in culture around her, these occult ideas that were dangling in front of her nose. And yet both of these people found out what it means to encounter the one true God. Now, Eglon's was very quiet, 
the witches was like the most eventful party you've ever been to late mm-hmm. at night. But both these people find out what it means when you try to get to the X on the treasure map by any means other than the means you were meant to. We all have holes in our hearts. Eglon tried to fill it with, I mean, honestly, he may have tried to fill it with food. Sounds um, like it. I mean, oh, he yeah. was a big a big fatty, man. Big, a big, big man. <coughs> uh, the witch probably tried to fill it with experiences or by lining her pockets by duping the gullible. But either way, when they tried to fill that hole, they tried to reach that X on the treasure map of their souls, they couldn't reach it. They couldn't get there. And it's a tragedy when we live our lives and we're not able to find out the truth that Yahweh, the God who orchestrated these judgments, the God who is in control of both of these events from beginning to end, he is the answer to the X. He sent his son for us so that that X could be filled in so that we would not have to be an Eglon or a witch, and we'd have pity on those around us who fit those same roles. Now, God passed his judgment on the witch. God passed his judgment on the pagan king. And if it weren't for Jesus, he'd be passing his judgment on to us. And so if that's you, be thankful. Um, be, you know, be, be humble about what you are. Without God's grace, you would go down the same path. If that is... Uh, not you, we ask that you please come to faith in him. That's our big hope and prayer that everyone listening would do so. Because the God who can you know, summon these things that you're trying to make happen in your life, all he has to do is speak a word, and it'll go above and beyond anything you've ever tried to orchestrate. The witch found that out in the, in the blink of an eye. Um, Eglon found out very quickly that nothing gets by uh, the nothing gets by the king. Everything is, uh, no matter how well things seem to be orchestrated, no matter how well your enterprise seems to be going, God can topple it with the most embarrassing story that you could ever hope to to tarnish your legacy. He got the point. He definitely got the point. But we just pray that uh, those out there who don't know Christ will come to Him and see see the tragedy in these stories. Uh, through the humor, through the eyebrow raising, through the fact that we call this the the odd parts of the scripture, see the humanity in it all. Very tragic people coming to horrible ends, horrible ends, embarrassing ends, bizarre ends, simply because they fell into the same trap that every last one of us fall into without him. But uh, until next time, that's our prayer that if you've been with the show all the way up to this point, uh, thank you so much, but if this happens to be the one episode you clicked on out of the blue, <laughs> thank you for listening to the whole darn thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would say that we're not like this, but... But we're like yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, this is but, awesome. <laughs> uh, but that's our great prayer for all of this. It's the reason we share these things. and uh, We hope that Scripture comes alive to, for you for the first time. We hope that you see these as human people. We don't have their faces we have names, letters on a page, but God remembers all their stories for good or for ill. And as he remembers your story someday, he'll remember every story that's on this podcast, all three of us. He'll remember your story out there as you listen. What legacy do you want it to be? Preach it, brother. Do you want it to be a good legacy, or do you want it to simply be part of the odd parts of history that nobody really remembers? And that's up to you, because all you have to do is choose to come to him. And that's it for me. And that's why Robert lands the plane. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do it quite so well like he does.
Well, um, this was great. Uh, I know I enjoyed it. Uh, where do we want to head next time? I think we threw around the idea of maybe visiting and talking about some of Jesus's miracles. Yeah. Okay. We did parables, and we've talked about some of the wilder stuff in the Old Testament. Well, it doesn't get much wilder than some of the stuff Jesus performed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He was here. So. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, maybe that would be a good, yeah. good jump. Let's yeah, do absolutely. it. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, like I said, we really want you to interact with us. Definitely visit our Facebook page, the Achieving Christian Thought Podcast page on Facebook. Um, visit our website if you want to leave us a message, uh, drop us a line. And um, we're trying to grow. We're trying to get bigger. So if you are listening to us on your favorite uh, streaming platform or uh, podcast platform, definitely, you know, share it with other people. If you enjoy this and you have people in your life who are on the fence about Christianity or wanting to learn more, I mean, we'd love for you to share. And, uh, yeah, we'd love your feedback. So, but uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll be with you on the next episode.